You can be seated. Please take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 21. On this Palm Sunday, we will take a break from our series through the book of Exodus and the Ten Commandments and consider the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus from Matthew 21. As you are turning there, many of you will know this, but I want to inform any who don't of the um, arrangements for this week. There will be a viewing for my mother, Donna Loganow, here at the church on Tuesday from 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. There will be a funeral service here at the church Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. and a viewing before that from 6 to 7 p.m. So uh, that's all the information uh, for this coming week, and uh, we want to uh, just, you know, thank everybody for, uh, for your prayers and your everything, you know, <clears throat> just for everything. But I'm, gonna, I'm not preaching that right now. I'm preaching that Wednesday. Today we're preaching about King Jesus and Palm Sunday. And so let's look at Matthew Chapter 21, starting in verse 1, this is what the Holy Spirit says. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, We confess together as a church that we have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. And we confess that above all else, Jesus is better. And so we ask now, Lord, through the word and through the sacrament, that you would make our hearts believe it. 
We pray, our Father, in the name of your Son, the crucified and risen Lord Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. What would you say if someone randomly approached you on the street and asked you the question, who is Jesus? What would you say? A Roman Catholic organization called Christ Life sought to find out when they went to Washington Square Park in New York City with a camera and simply asked people, who is Jesus? And these are the kinds of responses they got. Jesus was an historical figure. Jesus was a man. Jesus was the Son of God because we're all God's children. Jesus was the greatest salesman in history because he got all of these people to follow him. Jesus was a man who tried to spread wisdom. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Jesus is my best friend. This question, who is Jesus, is the same question that we are posed with in this pericope here on Palm Sunday 2023. In fact, verse 10 tells us that the whole city of Jerusalem was stirred up and saying, who is this? That is the question of the text, isn't it? That's the question of Matthew's gospel. That's the question of all four Gospels. That's the question of the New Testament. That's the question of the Old Testament. That's the question of the whole Bible. That's the most important question that could ever be asked to anyone who's ever lived anywhere. Who is Jesus? And so as we begin, begin Holy Week together and look at Matthew's account of the triumphal entry, we are forced to answer this question. Who is Jesus? For two millennia, the Christian church has observed Holy Week in celebration and remembrance of the last week of Jesus' ministry and mission. Pastor Brett already mentioned that. We know that on Palm Sunday, as we just read from Matthew, Jesus rode into Jerusalem, his triumphal entry as the king. On Holy Monday, Jesus cleansed the temple. On Holy Tuesday, Jesus taught the Olivet Discourse. On Holy Wednesday, or as some call it, Spy Wednesday, Judas betrayed Jesus. On Maundy Thursday, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. 
he transformed the Passover meal into the Eucharist and Jesus was handed over. On Good Friday, Jesus was falsely convicted and crucified on a Roman cross and Jesus was buried. And on Holy Saturday, Jesus laid dead in the tomb. But then on Easter Sunday, Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the first day of Holy Week. And we are faced with the question, who is Jesus? We will see Matthew's answer together, but then we have no choice but to consider our own answer. The first thing that Matthew tells us explicitly is that Jesus is our prophet. If you were in Pastor Mike's uh, class this morning, I'm literally going to pick up right where he left off. Uh, And that was not even planned. But Matthew tells us that, that Jesus is our prophet. Look at verse 11. When the crowds ask the question, who is this? The crowd's response is, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, Matthew doesn't blindside us with this information. No, Matthew's been building his case throughout his entire gospel that Jesus is the true and final prophet of God. Matthew has shown us from the very beginning that Jesus is the true and better Moses. In his birth and in his infancy, Jesus recapitulates the experience of Moses. Just as Pharaoh tried to abort Moses when he was born, so Herod tried to abort Jesus when he was born. Just as Moses led Israel out of Egypt, Jesus fulfilled Hosea's prophecy when he returned from Egypt after Herod died. Moses probably stands as the most noteworthy prophet in the Old Testament, and the Gospel of Matthew is preaching to us that Jesus is the new and better Moses. Not only does Matthew reveal to us that Jesus is our prophet through the life of Jesus, but also through the teaching of Jesus. Now, all four of the Gospels contain teaching from Jesus Christ, but Matthew uniquely gives us the longest summary of the greatest sermon that was ever preached, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And once again, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is the true and better Moses, because just as Moses went up Mount Sinai, we've been seeing this as we've been going through the Ten Commandments, just as Moses went up Mount Sinai to reveal God's law to his people, so Jesus goes up the mount, the Sermon on the Mount, and he speaks God's word to his people. Jesus is God's final prophet. Matthew shows us this through Jesus' life. He shows us this through Jesus' teaching. And he also reveals it to us 
through these Old Testament prophecies that are being fulfilled through Jesus. In verse 5, Matthew quotes the prophet Zechariah. Pastor Mike read it in our call to worship. On Palm Sunday, Jesus fulfills this specific prophecy, but church, the point is even more broad than that. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. All of the promises of God, all the way back to the very first gospel promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus is the fulfillment. 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us that all of the promises of God, all of the promises of God, find their yes in Jesus. That means that every single Old Testament promise is fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are zero Old Testament promises left to be fulfilled because they all find their yes in Jesus. It's not only in Matthew's gospel that we see that Jesus is our prophet. John tells us that not only does Jesus speak the word of God, but that Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the ontological speech act of God. Jesus is the final word of God. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. That was written 2,000 years ago. That's what these last days means. Jesus is God's final word. Because Jesus is the true and final prophet of God who speaks the final word of God. Church, listen, this is very important. A lot of Christians get very confused about this. Because that's true, we can know for certain that on this side of the return of Christ, God has nothing else to say to us besides what is found in his word. Everything God has to say to his people is found in the scripture. Everything God has to say to his people is found in the scripture. The Old Testament leads us to Christ. The New Testament reveals Christ. In the Gospels, we have the revelation of Jesus. And in the Epistles, we have the explanation of the revelation of Jesus by the apostles themselves who saw Jesus and were commissioned by Jesus. There are no more apostles. They died with John. There are no more prophets. 
Jesus is the true and final prophet. So the only place that you will find the word of God is in the Bible. Scripture is the exclusive way that God speaks. And so because that is true, the most important thing that you can do every week is come to church and submit yourself to the preaching of the word. That's the most important thing you can do. Now listen, unquestionably, it is beneficial to read your Bible. We, we have published a, a scripture reading plan as a church to read the Bible every day if you want to. That is good for you. It's healthy. It's beneficial. It can be helpful to participate in individual Bible study or small group Bible studies, going to Bible classes, going to flocks. People go to, like me who go to Bible college or who go to seminary. Immensely helpful, right? Educating yourself through reading or through uh, teaching videos, all these different things, those can be great. All of those different avenues of Christian education and discipleship, I want you to, to listen to the way I'm saying this. All of those things can certainly be helpful. But gathering with the church under the word is non-negotiable. It is commanded by God for the health of your soul. As the Second Helvetic Confession reminds us, there is a sense in which the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Why? Because Jesus uniquely, prophetically speaks to his people when his church is gathered around the word and around the sacrament. Every Sunday. Do you want to hear God speak? Come to church. Come every Sunday and submit yourself to the preaching of the word. That is where God speaks. Listen, this is an important exhortation, not only for those of you who might be prone to viewing church attendance as optional. I'm certainly trying to encourage you in this, to encourage you to make church more of a priority than you might be prone to do. But those aren't the only people this encouragement is for. It's also for those of you who so faithfully serve here at Christ Community Church, so faithfully and beautifully serve. But we cannot have any ministry set up where someone is missing the worship service too much. Whether it is children's ministry or helping to keep our people secure by patrolling the hallway or the foyer, there is nothing more important that happens here than the preaching of the word and the sacrament. If you are serving in kids' ministry or security ministry every week and you are missing church, it is not good for your soul. 
it would be better for us to have the kids in church every week than have people missing church too much to teach kids. If you're sitting in the foyer or the hallway every week and never sitting under the word, you are killing your soul. Because Jesus is our prophet and Jesus speaks through the preaching of the word. Not only does Matthew tell us that Jesus is our prophet, but he also reveals to us that Jesus is our priest. The apostle hints at the priestly identity of Christ with several clues in this narrative. Our first clue is the setting of the story itself the holy city of Jerusalem. In fact, this pericope is sandwiched with acknowledgments that Jesus is in Jerusalem. Did you notice that? In verse 1, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, and then in verse 10, it says, And when he entered Jerusalem. So we start the, the text with a mention of Jerusalem. We end the pericope with a mention of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the Hebrew word Yerushalayim, and it stems from two words. The first is the word yara, which means to set a foundation or to cast a foundation, yara. The second word is the Hebrew word shalom. You're probably familiar with that. It means peace. So Jerusalem literally means a foundation of peace. Jerusalem was the city of peace because Jerusalem was the place where the temple was. Which meant it was the place where the priests made sacrifices on behalf of the people of God. It was via these sacrifices under the old covenant that the people maintained peace with God. It's how the peace was mediated between God and his people. And on this very first Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into the city of peace to fully and finally make peace between God and his people. But it's not only by the setting that we see that Jesus is our priest, it's also by some of the supporting cast, namely the donkey that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on. You see, in the first century, when a king would ride into a city on a war horse, it was a battle cry. It meant that war was starting. But when a king would ride into a city on a donkey, it was a declaration of peace. Jesus is riding into the city of peace on an animal of peace. And Jesus gives us this visual display of peace because he wants us to know that he has come to make peace between God and his people. This is so important because peace is needed between God and his people. Because God is holy. 
God created us in his image and God gave us his law, but in our father Adam, we fell in sin. And as we just confessed earlier, we have all sinned in thought, word, and deed. We have all sinned by what we have done and we have all sinned by what we have left undone. And because of our sin, we justly deserve eternal conscious punishment in hell. We have broken the law. That's the bad news. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But thanks be to God, there is good news, church. As the Nicene Creed tells us, Jesus came for us and for our salvation. In his grace, the Father sent his Son, the eternal second person of the Holy Trinity, to be conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And then Jesus lived without sin, making him the only human being who has ever lived who never broke God's law. And that's how five days from now on Good Friday, Jesus could die on the cross and in his death atone for the sins of God's elect. Because on the cross, Jesus was not only our great high priest who offered the final sacrifice for sin to God, but Jesus was himself the sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as Jesus died on the cross, bearing the wrath of God for our sins, the great exchange happened. Jesus took the sins of his people, and then in turn, Jesus offered his righteousness to God on our behalf. Jesus paid our debt with his righteousness. Jesus died and Jesus was buried. And on the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead and the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that everything Jesus ever said and everything Jesus ever did was true. Jesus is truly God and truly man. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. God did accept Jesus' sacrifice. Church, the stories are true because the tomb is empty. And now everyone who will repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus will receive the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. That is the good news. To repent means to acknowledge that you are a sinner. And you turn from your sin and turn toward Jesus. Simultaneously, as that is happening, you are placing your faith in Jesus. And placing your faith in Jesus entails three facets, knowledge, assent, and trust. We say this often here. We repeat this often because this is important. This is the most important thing you'll ever think about. Is your faith in Jesus? Do you have knowledge, assent, and trust of the gospel? Now, what do those three things mean? What knowledge am I speaking of? If you have been listening to this sermon, you have all the knowledge you need. 
Knowledge about God's holiness, about your sinfulness, and about how Jesus is the only answer for your salvation. But knowledge alone is not enough to save you. There are a lot of atheists who can recite the Apostles' Creed. You must also assent to the facts about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Meaning you cannot merely say, oh, I know Christians think Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. You have to think Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And so let's stop right here. If you have the knowledge this morning, but you don't have the assent, if you're like, that's me, he's talking about me. I want to I help you. You're not a Christian because knowledge is not enough. And assent, knowledge and assent is not even enough. It's not enough to know the facts about Jesus and to even think that they actually happened because you must trust in Jesus. You must transfer your trust to Jesus alone. You must believe you must place the full weight of your righteousness on Jesus. That means to trust that on the last day, God will forgive your sins and God will give you eternal life based on nothing that you ever said or nothing that you ever did, but based solely on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. The reformers were right when they declared that scripture teaches that we are justified by faith alone. We are made right with God through the knowledge, assent, and trust of the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is the gospel. That is the plan of salvation. And if anyone ever tells you anything different, they stand in contrast to the word of God. There is not, I, I can't and won't in good conscience stand up here and say, you know, with, with full confidence, everything I say is thus saith the Lord, right? Any preacher would be foolish. But I'll tell you this. Knowledge, assent, and trust in the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is how you receive the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. Thus says the Lord. No other way. He is the way, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. It is through faith alone in the priestly work of Jesus Christ that we are made right with God. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Listen to this beautiful passage. Hebrews 4 tells us about Jesus' priesthood. Starting in verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is our priest. This Palm Sunday pericope reveals to us that Jesus is our prophet and that Jesus is our priest. And finally, church, this text shows us that Jesus is our king. Jesus acts like the king in this passage, doesn't he? I mean, he's a little presumptuous, you know. I think the disciples may have been getting a little nervous because Jesus is like, hey guys, I need you to run to Jerusalem and go steal a donkey for me. And I don't know if they, like, had a group discussion about it or if they just obeyed. Matthew doesn't tell us, but... That's really how it goes down. Jesus is like, just tell the guy it's for me, and he'll give it to you. And he does. And you might be like, well, did did they get it back to him after? You know, it doesn't really say. Jesus Jesus is the king. Like, Like, whoever had the donkey, and I don't know, they were a steward of Jesus' donkey. You see, Jesus is the king. Jesus created the donkey. Like the only reason the donkey can take breath to live is because Jesus is giving that donkey breath to live. So Jesus is acting like the king. He, he, he owns the animal. He created the animal. Jesus rides into Jerusalem as a king does when he's declaring peace on this donkey. In verse 5, Matthew quotes Zechariah who says, Behold, your king is coming to you. The crowd accurately assesses Jesus' identity when they shout Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Matthew had already revealed to us in the genealogy in chapter 1 that Jesus of Nazareth is the son of David. Jesus is the eternal king promised in the Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
And by virtue of his resurrection, Jesus of Nazareth is the king of the world. And more importantly, Jesus is the king of the church. And that is more important. So church, we need to understand while we must never, ever, ever waver from the truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. That's it. Nothing else makes us right with God. We must also recognize that our obedience to King Jesus is proof that we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And Scripture demands that all creatures must submit unwavering allegiance to King Jesus. Obedience to Jesus is not an option. Jesus is king. And so his authority extends beyond the authority of our parents or our bosses or the United States government or any other earthly authority. Because every rightful authority on the globe only has that authority because King Jesus gave them that authority. So as we consider how we are to obey the different authorities in our lives, we do so understanding that we submit to every and any rightful authority so long as it does not forbid what God commands or command what God forbids. Because scripture always commands that we obey King Jesus. And we know what King Jesus commands of us from the scripture. Our allegiance is not first and foremost to our family or to a corporation or to our country or to a specific political party or politician. Our allegiance is not to our money or our brand or our friends or our social club or the military or anything else. Our allegiance first and foremost is to a king and a kingdom. And so church, on Palm Sunday, we're reminded we must live our lives as if Jesus is the king and as if Jesus is ruling and reigning right now. We must live our lives like Jesus is going to return to raise the dead, judge the world, and make all things new. Because Jesus is the king, We cannot waver on the gospel. Because Jesus is the king, we cannot let go of orthodox Christianity as revealed in the creeds. Because Jesus is the king, we cannot capitulate on doctrines like the Trinity or the virgin birth or the hypostatic union of Christ or the bodily resurrection of Christ or the imminent bodily return of Christ, or any other doctrine that separates Christianity from heresy. They are non-negotiable. Why? Because Jesus is the king. Because Jesus is the king, we cannot submit to the world's ethics on gender, sexuality, and marriage. Because Jesus is the king, we cannot stop fighting for the right to life 
for everyone who is made in the image of God from the moment of conception to the grave. Because Jesus is the king, we cannot neglect to meet together as a church. Because Jesus is the king, we don't have to worry. Because Jesus is the king, we can know that our sins are forgiven. We can know. Do you know how many people in the world, even people who go to Christian churches every week, don't feel like they can know? We can know that our sins are forgiven because Jesus is the king. So on this Palm Sunday, we see from Matthew's gospel that Jesus Christ is our prophet. Jesus Christ is our priest. Jesus Christ is the king of all who place their faith in him alone. And so now on Palm Sunday, as we come to the Holy Eucharist, I ask you one more time to consider in your heart and in your mind, what is your answer? Who is Jesus? Let's pray. Holy Father, we give you thanks that you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our prophet and our priest and our king. We need a prophet, Father, because we need your word. And Jesus speaks your word to us through the preaching of the word as the church gathers every Sunday. And Father, we thank you for Jesus because we need a priest. We cannot intercede on behalf of ourselves. We cannot atone for our own sin. And Father, we thank you for Jesus because we need a king. We need one who will rightly rule and reign and administer justice and enforce peace. Father, on this Palm Sunday, I ask for every individual in the gathering this morning that in their heart and in their mind, that they would have a Christian, Orthodox, saving answer to the question, who is Jesus? Show us now, we ask, even through the bread and the wine. We pray, our Father, in the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit. Amen.